Uh, I had a great year of growth walking alongside these guys as they helped me a lot um, walk through my own hopes and dreams and uh, plans with my hopes to pastor. And today I'm excited to be able to preach to you a message that I think is going to be pretty applicable to all of us. We're in the middle of a sermon series working through the book of Proverbs where we are contrasting the foolishness of our own culture to the wisdom of Proverbs. Today we're going to talk about how fools have big mouths, but the wise speak like those who have been saved. I'm especially excited about our topic today because it's incredible application to each one of us. That's one of the great things about Proverbs is it's so, it's so practical. It's just, we've been saying all along, it has this real deep, earthy kind of wisdom. And today is going to be no exception. Every one of us, whether we're loud, whether we're quiet, we all talk. There are words that come out, out of all our mouths. We all communicate. And we're going to see how the wisdom of God applies to the way that we communicate. We've said throughout this whole sermon series that sometimes wisdom really stings. And I think, I know in preparation for this, that was true. I think that's going to be true today. There are a lot of ways that we can sin with our mouth. I'm not going to try and talk about them all comprehensively. A lot of them we're aware of. But I'm going to focus on three aspects of folly in our speech. So I'm going to talk about one, hasty speech. Two, manipulative speech. And three, the folly of gossip. And we'll see how the wisdom of God interacts with each one of those areas. So let's pray, and uh, we'll start. Lord God, we are, we are sinners, and we're in constant need of your grace. So we just ask now that you would come, speak to us by the power of your word. The way that we talk is just one of the ways that we fall short of your standard. I ask that through the power of your spirit, you would just illuminate your word to us. That you would confront us this morning in our sin, that you would turn our hearts toward your wisdom, and that we would find the power and the change and the mercy that can only be found in you. I pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's talk about the foolishness of hasty speech to start. We're going to start with Proverbs 29, as Matt read. Uh, I'm sure, as most of you know by now, that Proverbs does not take the fool too kindly. The fool is kind of the, uh, the villain of Proverbs. And I did a little count working through the book, and by my count, the fool and the foolish are mentioned over 70 times. Every single reference is derogatory, except with one that's kind of neutral. And it says, even the fool is counted wise if he keeps his mouth shut. You know, that's kind of, that kind of gives you a little perspective of where Solomon is coming from. Uh, Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Hasty speech or thoughtless speech is taken really seriously by the Proverbs. So let's, exa- let's kind of examine this idea of giving full vent to our spirit. The image is one of just complete openness. Words are flowing out. Uh, sometimes we think of this as a positive thing, especially in our culture. We kind of give praise to the people that are sometimes completely open. And, we, and they say, well, I'm just being honest, or I'm just a straight shooter, or I'm just calling it like I see it. Sometimes thought is proof of honesty to speak all of what's on your mind. But Proverbs says it's really sometimes just proof of folly. It's hard to keep our spirits in check. 
But another translation of this proverb says, if you want a different perspective, it says, a fool utters all his mind. Whatever he's thinking comes out. A wise man keeps it in till afterwards. A wise man realizes that now is not necessarily the time to say everything that you're thinking. Especially when we feel like we have something great to say, this becomes a really difficult challenge. We want to say what we think. We want to say it right now. And in my experience, that's one of the most difficult things of communication is when you have a nugget, you have a great thing that you want to say, to hold it back is really difficult. Wisdom waits for the right time. Wisdom is humble enough to realize we might right now not have all the information that we need. We might not have all the context, all the perspective that we need. We might not be omniscient. Might, right now might not be the time for us to say exactly what we think. But we like real-time analysis. This is becoming very increasingly popular in our, our culture. It goes against our nature to kind of hold back and reflect a little bit. Some of you maybe remember uh, during the presidential debates in 2008, um, there would be focus groups who would watch the debate and hold little handheld devices, kind of like they're playing Super Mario, something like that, with up and down arrows, and they would reflect in real time what they thought of the speech. So you could see kind of a graph in as, as each candidate was talking, going up and down, where people were just gut reactions in the moment to what they were thinking while, while the candidates were talking. It's interesting to watch the way people respond exactly in the moment to what people are saying. But at the same time, there's something a little bit ridiculous about debating our most important national issues without any thought, without any reflection, and trying to say that there's something substantial about people's reaction right in the moment. But we're not a really reflective society. I don't think anyone's going to debate that. We're not a really thoughtful society. We don't like to quietly hold back our opinions. He's the one the whole book is pointing the finger at, but the one who's hasty in his words is worse because he's a hopeless fool. He's wise in his own eyes. He doesn't even know that he needs help because the heart behind his communication is pride. It's this idea that what we think is of utmost importance and that what other people need most is our opinion. So what's the essence, really, of communication? If you look up, if you look up that word in the dictionary in Webster's, you'll hear synonyms um, or descriptions like sharing, like fellowship, like exchange, um, participation, those type of, that kind of two-way um, image, imagery is in the dictionary. But for many of us, the actual functional definition of communication in our lives is me telling you what I think. One business leader who's um, studied communication in the workplace extensively said, quote, for many of us, communication is first and foremost seeking to be understood, to communicate our ideas and opinions to others in an effective way. If we listen at all, it's usually just with the intent to reply. Do you see the heart behind that kind of mentality? It's a heart that says what I think is most important. How many of us have experienced this in a social setting or in a group where people are talking and you know no one is listening to you? People are just kind of like, peering in, looking at you intently to see when your mouth stops so they can jump in. When I, read that, I, I, um, when I read that quote, I was reminded of the comedian Brian Regan. Some of you have probably seen this, uh, where he says that his social fantasy is to be one of the 12 people who walked on the moon. That way, if, is it, if he's ever at a dinner party or some sort of social event, 
when people are talking about their accomplishments, their possessions, their vacations, their luxury experiences, he can kind of quietly sit back and eat his hors d'oeuvres. And then if there's ever a break in the conversation, he can say, I walked on the moon. (laughs) It's a great kind of comedic reminder that it's very easy to get involved in the competitive nature of hasty speech. Some of the worst things that I've said, some of the most foolish things that I've ever said have come in these group settings where I get become part of the herd mentality. People are laughing, people are exchanging jokes, and I have to come up with the zinger to top all of them. It really gets easy to pick on the weaker person in that setting or to come up with the, with the line that tops everyone else. How many of us have ganged up on the weaker person or on the absent person in that type of setting because we've fallen prey to the foolishness of hasty speech. But this is what the fool thinks. The fool thinks that the audience he's speaking in front of is the only one that he actually needs to impress. And he thinks that his life, his life and his perspective is what's most important. He thinks he's at the center of the universe. He doesn't take any pleasure in listening or in learning from others. Proverbs 18.2 says, the fool takes no pleasure in understanding. He doesn't want to understand but only in expressing his opinion. The wise one holds back his speech because he knows that it isn't your social performance that justifies you. I want to move from here and talk about manipulative speech, which is closely tied to hasty speech. But by that I mean speech with wrong intentions, wrong motives, with the intention of casting ourselves in the best possible light. I don't think we usually recognize this as lying, but that's really what it is. It's dishonest communication with the intent of putting ourselves first. Uh, The author Richard Foster writes, this is again a quote, that the tongue is our most powerful weapon of manipulation. A frantic stream of words flows from us because we are in a constant process of adjusting our public image. We fear so deeply what we think other people see in us, so we talk in order to straighten out their understanding. If I have done some wrong thing and discover that you know about it, I will be very tempted to help you understand my action. Silence is one of the deepest disciplines of the Spirit, simply because it puts the stopper on that. And then Foster concludes by saying, One of the fruits of silence is the freedom to let our justification rest entirely with God. We don't need to straighten others out. When we quiet down, when we hold back our speech, like the wise person does, it gives us a chance to recognize who we're really living for and who we're really trying to impress. Some of us, work hardest at manipulation in the way that we communicate online. And I'm going to address this specifically. Because one of the most amazing things technologically in the last 10 years is the way that we can, on the Internet, completely edit ourselves. We can, we can create a completely self-edited version of ourself that allows us to include our most flattering hobbies, activities, photographs. We can cast ourselves in the best possible light, our wittiest words. All these things are things that we can project to the rest of the world to make ourselves look good. There may be nothing inherently wrong with this, but we need to think critically about the way that we use mediums like that uh, because we need to ask questions about the way that we communicate before others and before God. Questions like, is this actually honest? 
does it promote me and my kingdom, or does it promote God and his kingdom? Is this designed to bring glory to me or glory to God? This desire to manipulate, to cast ourselves in the best possible light, is so prevalent, even in the church setting. I've had this experience, and I'm sure some of you have too, that we'll actually like, pre-plan our confession of sin and edit it to make ourselves look good. It's not a difficult thing to do. We want to be... Um, we want to, like, sin explainable sins or say that, well, we're in the process of getting through them. Or that even, in, even in my confession of sin, there can be pride. We share things that we want prayer for and that we're struggling with, and we're still pro- trying to put these confessions in a way that might seem flattering. I want us to think for a moment on the words of Jesus. This is in Matthew twelve thirty-four to 37, if you turn there. Jesus gives some very sobering words about the way that we talk. And he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. Our speech is really an index of who we are and what we truly believe. It really is. If we could put a pedometer on our mouth, just chart all the words that spilled out in the last week, the words that we speak, the words that we type, the words that we tweet, would they reflect hearts that have really been captured by the gospel and by the goodness of God? Jesus continues and says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus is saying that a person's words will be evidence of what is going on inside of them. What's happening internally is going to be reflected by your words. We'll give an account of the words that we speak, and those words are going to be evidence of the state of our hearts. So in light of that day, let's speak wise words. Let's, be, let's not let hasty and manipulative speech spill out of our mouth. Let's speak words that reflect the grace of God and what he's done for us. I want to turn quickly to this folly of gossip. And I'll uh, read a proverb from Proverbs 18.8 that says, The words of a whisperer or a gossiper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. All of us know. I struggled with whether to include this because all of us know that gossip is wrong. I don't think that's news to you, that gossip is a sin. And yet at the same time, it's tantalizing. We know, Solomon says, Solomon says that these words are like delicious morsels. It's kind of like, it's kind of like raw cookie dough before they go into the oven. You know it's not good for you. There's raw eggs in there, okay? But we still, it's still tempting. It's a lot like, uh, you know, when you're at a wedding and people are passing around those scallops covered in bacon. That stuff is going to kill you, okay? But you still eat it, you know? It's like Turkish delight. It sinks right down into you, okay? But unlike, unlike foods, you don't just, like, eat healthier the next day and cleanse it out. It sinks deep down into you. Gossip stays with you. It has a destructive effect. It goes down into the innermost parts of the body. It changes the way that we look at people. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Those words 
Those gossipy words, the words that are not thought of and destructive of other people, they pierce like a sword. They leave a scar. They aren't recovered from quickly. How many of us have memories from years ago, even decades ago, of reckless words that have pierced us through? This warning against gossip, too, I think is especially applicable to us in in an increasingly globalized society when you can say something and... uh, within moments, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people can can have heard about your reckless words. We kind of think, sometimes I think, that there's something good about confessing other people's sins. That's really not what we're called to do. Confess your own sins, but you're not called to pass along or to speculate about other people's sins. We have a greater power to communicate than ever before, so it's really important that we think in wise ways about the way that we do this and about being the people of God, the ones who represent God in this world, so that we should think critically and biblically about the speech that we have. And I also just want to add, I think we live in a culture that makes entertainment out of gossip. And it's important to realize that this is not as innocent as it seems. Whether it's gossipy TV shows, magazines, websites, etc., you name it, Unplug. Reject the gossip. It's a sin. Proverbs calls it a sin. So whether we're struggling with hasty speech, whether it's manipulative speech, whether it's gossip, whether it's another form of destructive speech, what is the way of wisdom? We don't want the answer to simply be just talk less. Although Proverbs does say that in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. So I think some of us could seriously take that as advice. Talk less. You know, if you lie one time, every, if you speak a hundred times and lie once, try speaking 50 times, you'll only lie half a time. <laughs> you know, just change the math a little bit. But the goal here above that is speech that's controlled by the wisdom of God. There's a time to listen. There's a time to speak. I'm not advocating for non-communicativeness, but timing and context and consideration. We want our mouths to be controlled, able to speak the right word. We want our position to be for, before God as the ones that he's changed by the gospel to be the framework for our communication. Here's what I mean when I say that. If my heart's being changed by the gospel, then I want to be slower to speak. I want to be slower to pass judgment. I don't need to tear someone down to make myself feel superior because I've already been justified by what God has done for me. My self-worth, my identity is not coming from my performance or my social standing but I've been defined in a new way by what Jesus Christ has done for me. So in that case, what's coming from my lips? Things like thanksgiving, things like grace, things like encouragement, joy. I want to be quick to show thanks, slow to complain. The gospel also gives us the humility to walk away from manipulative speech and honestly be the people that God has created us to be. I don't need to make myself look good. Because who I am has been defined completely apart from me. I've been covered by the righteousness of God. God in his mercy has given me right standing through the work of Jesus Christ. I don't need to manipulate other people through my speech. I don't need to self-edit to cast myself in the best best possible light. I've seen this powerfully in people, people in this church that have just honestly confessed their sins and said, 
this is the state that I'm currently in. Their righteousness is not resting in their performance. The gospel frees us from gossip because we can't tear down a person for whom Christ has died. I've been so blessed in this church, seriously, in the last three years to, for, with how little gossip that I've heard. I've just been impressed by the willingness of other people in situations where maybe they had something that they wanted to say to bite their tongues. We're the people of the gospel. Our words should bring healing and grace. Even in, even in a setting like a Sunday morning, we're so quickly programmed to be consumers and to, to walk out of here and say, well, I like the first song. The second and third didn't really do so much for me. To be people that just critique or to be people that, like, it's good. It's good. I mean, I hope you do search the scriptures in response to this sermon. But there's a difference between, there's a difference between going into the Bible and look, uh, like, kind of fact-checking and a difference between just critiquing as though you are a passive consumer. We want to be people that rejoice in what God is doing for us, even on a Sunday morning, more than we want to be people that just, like, critique and give our own opinion. So our hope, our hope is really not that we'll never say a wrong thing again. We'll say things that we regret again. But I want to say more than just stop speaking bad words or wash out your mouth with soap. I want to say that our hope is in Jesus Christ. He's the one who is strong enough to look at his enemies without saying a word. Even the big mouths, even the people with flapping lips, they can find forgiveness in him. So what do we do if we've been if we know that we've been giving hasty speech, manipulative speech, gossipy speech, it starts with confessing our sins. We confess before God for our speech and the words of life, as well as the words of life that we've res- refused to speak. And then repent. And by repent, I mean turn away and begin living in your justification. Repentance is living for a new audience. It's turning away It's turning away from the old audience and living before God. We're not living for the approval of anyone other than God. If we repent and believe in Jesus Christ as the one who has made us right before him, then it will change the way that we communicate. We're the people who have experienced a word of God, a word of good news, and it is embodied in Jesus Christ, and it has changed us forever. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Fools have big mouths, but the wise have experienced the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ, and they speak like those who have been saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the grace that you have poured out on us. We would be absolutely lost without that. We just ask that you would transform the way that we communicate, that you would eliminate from us words of gossip, manipulation, foolishness, but that we would speak like those whose hearts have been transformed by your grace. We ask that you would do this by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.